Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the host of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. No matter where you are in the world, I want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts. As always, we have a great show for you today. Now here are our topics. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. I am your host, Desmond Price. Thank you for sticking with us and coming back for another episode. I know last week kind of ruffled a little bit of feathers, but I appreciate everyone who is still subscribed after last week. And to anyone who who might be listening for the first time, I will hope that you will also subscribe. So in today's episode, we'll be talking about the stimulus package that is being proposed by Joe Biden, what exactly is in it, how it's affecting your life, why you should care. In my main segment, I'll be meeting with Janae, who is the host of the Confessions from a Red Couch podcast, and we'll be talking about her experience being a teacher, uh, just in general and during this time of COVID. And in my final segment, we'll be discussing my final thoughts of the day. But first, if you haven't already, please uh, follow me on Instagram at Independent Thought. It's the best place to keep up with the podcast. I post things to my story daily, so definitely follow me on Instagram to keep up with me and the podcast. So first, Joe Biden is about to take office. Now that Inauguration Day is right around the corner, Uh, as of today, uh, the inauguration, as we know, is still scheduled for this week. You know, there were some doubts that it was even going to be held because of what the FBI is calling chatter online, that they were hearing that there might be certain groups who were thinking about storming inauguration, but they have stationed thousands of troops in Washington, D.C. Some are referring to it as looking like the green zone, which was uh, basically what Baghdad looked like after uh, U.S. forces kind of um, were able to run Saddam Hussein out of town. So apparently it's kind of a a bleak place to be right now. If you're in the D.C. metro area, please DM me and tell me exactly what it looks like so I can be a little more clear in a future episode. Uh, But, you know, as we are going to Inauguration Day, Uh, Joe Biden will be taking over as the new president of the United States. Donald Trump will be going into uh, temporary isolation, I would hope, maybe longer isolation. Time will tell. We'll get back to him at another time. Uh, Because now the question is, what will Joe Biden do first? We just spent months and months and months of nothing but campaigning. Uh, by you know himself, other Democrats talking about how existential of threats we are facing as a country. And this was before coronavirus. And so Joe Biden has spent a long time now talking about all the challenges that our country is facing and what exactly needs to be done about it. And so now the question really becomes, what are you going to do now that you are in power? He's had a bunch of, you know, generic ideas that he's thrown around, you know, while he was transitioning, being the president-elect. But as of this past week, he unveiled his first real plan for what exactly it is that he's going to do. And so I decided to take a look at that plan 
and kind of break down the parts of it that I feel were the most impactful to all of our lives and kind of explain what you could expect uh, from this $1.9 trillion package that Joe Biden says he'll be putting to Congress uh, his first day in office. Apparently he's gonna be doing a lot of things his first day in office. He plans to abolish the Keystone Pipeline. He plans to uh, reinstitute uh, protections for DACA uh, people here in the country. Uh, apparently he's gonna roll back a bunch of Trump regulations. He's gonna get rid of Trump's tax cuts, but apparently he has a busy first day plans. But we're gonna talk about the stimulus package here today. So there's a lot of things that are in it. Uh, so I'm not gonna cover every single thing that is inside of the package, but I wanna just break down about like five or six things here that I feel like are the most beneficial uh, to just everyone in general. So uh, the first thing that caught my eye in this stimulus package was that they are, that it plans on sending $20 billion uh, for a national vaccination program. So Joe Biden wants to, his slogan on his national vaccination program is that he wants to administer 100 million shots in the first 100 days of his presidency, which seems a little arbitrary, you know, a, probably a weird attempt to try to be catchy. But since we know now that the vaccines apparently take two shots before you're, you know, fully vaccinated, uh, that translates into 50 million people which is the goal, to be vaccinated within the first 100 days, you know, or also known as the next three months. Um, that's a pretty big swath of the population. We're talking about 50 million people in a country that has 330 million people, roughly. Uh, so we're looking at somewhere around like, you know, one-sixth, one-seventh of the population. That's a pretty big chunk. Uh, they do admit that it's pretty ambitious on their parts. They're also planning on apparently uh, trying to launch, you know, community vaccination centers and mobile units in rural areas to help just distribute this, you know, even quicker. I guess Joe Biden's planning on deploying FEMA to help the vaccine get rolled out more effectively. I know that, you know, during the debates, he was criticizing President Trump for not having a great plan to roll out the vaccine. So now we will see if Joe Biden's plan uh, will be rolled out as efficiently as he claims it will be. Uh, when news reporters did try to reach him and his transition team for comments on exactly how they were going to implement such an ambitious plan, uh, they declined to give comment. So we will see if they're able to reach that gaudy number of 100 million shots in 100 days. But on top of that, they are also uh, putting money towards the restoration of the emergency paid leave, which I personally did not know was a thing, you know, beforehand, because I think a lot of people could have benefited from this. But uh, basically, what this says is that it guarantees up to 14 weeks of full pay from your job if you are forced to leave uh, because you contracted coronavirus or if you're quarantining while waiting for test results. Uh, and there's also in here 10 weeks of guaranteed paid family leave uh, if you have to deal with, uh, you know, for any, situations that come up with your children 
uh, in regards to coronavirus as well. Uh, I know that paid family leave is something that those on the left, primarily Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, were definitely railing on our country quite a bit, saying that we are one of the only countries on the planet that does not guarantee paid family leave to people of our country. So that is apparently something that Joe Biden or his team are acknowledging and they're trying to rectify here. Again, I will be a little less critical in my tone once I see these things come down, more or less. I uh, just learned over the years not to trust everyone's, you know, game plan. I, I want to see, I want to see exactly how it's rolled out, when it'll be rolled out, if it's rolled out. As of right now, these are just, you know, plans. We'll, we'll see what happens when the bill actually gets to Congress, if it gets changed, so on and so forth. Uh, but on top of that, they're also planning on doing increasing the child tax credit. So for those who, you know, have children and you do your taxes every year, you know that the government gives you money uh, per child that you have. Uh, typically that number is $2,000 per child. They are going to increase that temporarily to $3,600 if you have a child under the age of six and for all other children, it'll go up from $2,000 to $3,000. And finally, there is also the earned income tax credit, which is basically just for everyone. Uh, typically that caps out at $538. They are increasing it from $538 to $1,500. So everyone can expect to be getting another $1,000 back on their tax refunds. Do a little happy dance if you're a person who does your taxes right now. Uh, a couple other things on here that are worth knowing. They want to increase SNAP benefits by 15%, as well as creating a program that will partner with restaurants to provide uh, food to needy Americans and also try to help people get jobs who have been laid off in the restaurant industry. They were pretty vague about how exactly they want to do that, but I thought that that's a really influential thing. I know personally here in Missoula, Montana, there have been a lot of people that I know who have struggled in the restaurant industry. And I'm sure this is happening across the country where those who just used to make pretty decent wages in the restaurant business. I mean, you, you can't dine in anymore in a lot of places. Uh, deliveries aren't, you know, aren't really flowing the way that they used to. A lot of people who work in restaurants are struggling right now. So uh, any kind of aid that will help those people, I think, is incredibly beneficial. And so let's see here. Also, another $25 billion for rental assistance for households who have lost their jobs during the pandemic. I think that's great. I also wish that there was rental assistance for people who not necessarily have lost their jobs, but have had their hours cut due to the pandemic which is another untold story going on right now. Cause while there are lots of people who have lost their jobs, there's also lots of people who have just had their hours cut, you know, extremely and aren't able to make ends meet. So, which is what I think, you know, part of the enhanced unemployment benefits are meant to kind of like bridge that gap a little bit, which is the next thing that's on this list. They are bringing the enhanced unemployment benefits up to $400 a week, which is still lower than they were originally at $600 a week, but it's better than they have been uh, just in the last few months here. 
and those benefits will go through uh, to September. Uh, so for those of you who are still using unemployment benefits or you're now using them for the first time, uh, you'll be able to get whatever your state's offering you. And then on top of that, an extra $400 a week from the federal government. And they haven't uh, also updated the requirements for it. So I know there were those of you out there who were either gig workers or independent contractors or self-employed. Apparently all three of those categories are now included into this round of unemployment insurance. So that is a really good thing. Now, the last three things here that are worth uh, mentioning, I think are the, are the big things. Um, first of which is the $15 minimum wage. So they are including this $15 minimum wage into this overall bill, which I think is a good thing, but it also depends on how it's rolled out. It doesn't say whether or not it would be an incremental uh, rollout or if it would be just all at once. Uh, just knowing what I know about small businesses and which granted I'm, you know, I'm no expert, but I would think that if you would ask certain businesses to go from a 725 minimum wage to having to pay their employees a $15 minimum wage right away, that might cause a lot of friction with a lot of small businesses. But if it's a gradual increase, I'm sure it could be managed. Uh, the thing that I really appreciate on here though, which I'm really surprised by given you know who this bill is coming from, is that they also alongside of wanting to end the, alongside of wanting to make the minimum wage $15 an hour, they also want to end the tipped minimum wage so that people who make tips no longer have a different minimum wage than people who you know, don't make tips. And if you're not familiar with this, if you are a server or someone who works uh, for tips, your minimum wage has always been extremely lower than everyone else's. I know there's certain states where the minimum wage might be $11 an hour, but if you're a tipped employee, you only make like $2.15 an hour. And you know your tips have to uh, bump you up to what the minimum wage is. And if it doesn't, then your, your job does. It, it, it's a whole scam. I, I, I really am you know, disgusted about how it, it came along and how it's you know, been used against people you know, all over the country. Um, but that might be another discussion for another day. But this package wants to get rid of the tipped wage altogether. And also the sub-minimum wage, which is used for people with disabilities. So currently right now, if you're a person who with a disability in America, uh, companies like Goodwill will pay you somewhere along the lines of like, I believe it's 25 cents an hour because legally they're allowed to because you're a person with disabilities. And so this package would seek to end that as well, which in my opinion is a very good thing. I'm very much in favor of this. I'm not sure why it took until this moment in history for someone to realize that that needed to be fixed, but nevertheless, good. So finally, what we're coming to is the stimulus payment. So Joe Biden has been talking about how Americans need a $2,000 check. Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, the two senators who just got elected in the state of Georgia, both ran on this idea saying that if you vote for me, you will get a $2,000 check. And in this bill, they are not providing a $2,000 check, 
but rather a $1,400 check. And they're telling you to add that to what you just got from the last stimulus package that got passed, which was a $600 check. And when you add those two things together, you just get $2,000. Listen, I'm not going to be mad at somebody for sending out a $1,400 check, but this is really simple. If you're already spending $1.9 trillion and you promise the people of America that if you got elected, if you got into power, you'd give people $2,000, just give them $2,000. Why are you making this complicated? Like, why do the roundabout thing where you're like, oh, well, if you take the last check and you add it to this one and it's just like, well, oh, yeah, of course. And if you take, you know, like the last check and you add it to the first one that we got, then all you need to do is give us $200 and then we'll have, you know, $2,000 altogether between the three. You're like, there's, just stop doing this. Stop doing this. This is the really dumb thing to put into this bill. Just give people $2,000. You're already spending 1.9 trillion. You're not asking that much more to tack onto this bill. This is really stupid. $1,400 checks, which is, it just doesn't make any sense. Don't run on the message of $2,000 and not give people $2,000. Rants over. So the last thing in this bill is $170 billion to uh, K through 12 schools uh, and colleges so that they could either reopen safely if they want to or facilitate remote learning. I guess they're leaving that up to the state by state so that they can decide whether or not they want to use that money for remote learning or to reopen safely. Uh, they didn't really go into detail about what reopen safely means. So this will go into a little bit more of the topic for the guests that I'm gonna have here today uh, because my guest is you know, a current school teacher. So I'll be talking with her about some of the challenges she faces as a teacher. So I am all for any and all money that we're giving to these schools to kind of help them kind of like transition through this time of coronavirus because teachers are not getting enough credit for what they have to deal with right now. If you know a teacher, please thank a teacher because they, you know, are going through some hell right now. So, but with all that being said, let, let's just wrap up. I just gave you a bunch of numbers. Let me just talk about what all this means really quickly. So before we get too excited, this bill has to go through Congress. And that's where the hangup is for me. It'll go through the House because the House is still controlled by Democrats. But the way that the Senate works is that, you know, as of right now, with a bill like this, if you try to pass it through what they call regular order, you need 60 votes in the Senate. So the Democrats amount for 50. So that would mean that they would need 10 Republicans to vote for this, for this to all pass. Now that's if you wanna go through what they, what they call regular order. Apparently there's a way to not do what's called regular order. There's a way to pass this bill through what's known as budget reconciliation. You know, it's a special term that's being used. And I guess as of right now, Joe Biden's not trying to get the bill passed through budget reconciliation because, oh, well, no one really knows, honestly. He's been asked about it. He hasn't given a real answer on it. Some people think that maybe he wants to do it this way through this regular order process because he said he wanted to work with Republicans. So he's, that's his attempt of trying to work with Republicans. 
in one way. If you do it the regular order, it can go through faster. So some people think that maybe he's doing this because he wants to get this to people as quickly as possible. So if he can get Republicans on board, it's the best case scenario because everything in this package can get out to the American people more quickly. And there's some cynical people who think that maybe he's doing it this way because he wants the package to fail and then blame the Republicans for why it failed. However, there is a secondary way to pass this bill and it's called through budget reconciliation. And the benefits of this are one, if you pass it through this way, you'll only need 51 votes, which the Democrats currently have because they have a tie-breaking vote with the Vice President Kamala Harris, and it cannot be filibustered. And when you do something through budget reconciliation, the only person who has like true like uh, power over what's in the bill is the chairman of the budget committee in the Senate, and that person is the name has the name of Bernie Sanders. So he would be directly in charge of overseeing what exactly is in the bill uh, before it's voted on. Um, so the only downside to this apparently is that if you do try to pass a bill through budget reconciliation, that apparently it's a much longer process, but it's unclear from what I've been reading exactly how much longer that is. So hard to say exactly where this package stands. I think we'll all know a little bit more in the next couple of weeks here, but I wanted to lay all that out so that everyone kind of knows exactly where the money's going, um, how you can benefit on it and what exactly the drawbacks might be. So over the next couple of weeks, I would just encourage you all just to stay up to date with this um, because the Democrats have been talking about everything that's been wrong in this country for the last couple of years, and I'm with them. There's a lot of things wrong with this country, but the last thing that I want to see is for them to finally have a chance to do something good and to virtue signal and say, look, all the things we tried to do, and then do bonehead moves to which things can't get passed, like trying to work with Republicans and then blaming it on Republicans and then saying that like, oh, see, we tried to fix things, but we couldn't. It's those damn Republicans' faults. So I'll be keeping an eye on all of this to see if they actually genuinely want to get things done or if they're going to try to find ways to, you know, kind of get things done, but then blame it on the other side. So stay tuned for that. And when I come back from the break, I'll be joined by my guest for this week. Stay tuned. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana, that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. 
Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us. This is Independent Thought. Today, I have a guest on the show by the name of Janae. She is the host of the Confessions from a Red Couch podcast. Janae, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I got to say, you know, you're one of my, you know, podcasts that I listen to on rotation. I only have like about like I think about 10 right now. So you're, you're in my top 10. All right. All right. So, yeah. I'm had to... right now, but you know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, before, you know, I asked you to come on the podcast today to talk about, you know, what you do outside of being a podcaster. But before we talk about that, I just wanted to give you a chance just to tell everyone about your podcast a little bit before we jump into the rest of this conversation. All right. So uh, my podcast is Confessions from a Ray Couch. A podcast where we talk about improving the relationship with yourself so you don't take your trash to others because no one wants your unresolved issues. And we talk about all things mental health, self-care, just anything that uh, relationships, um, anything that we can do to make sure that your life is is great or a little bit better. (laughs) No, definitely. And especially in a time of coronavirus, yes. you know, focusing on yourself and making sure that you're okay. Mm-hmm. Definitely a conversation that needs to be had, not once, but just consistently. Yes. And yes. so just, you know, before we transition, I just want to ask you one question that I feel like I didn't ask you the last time that I had you on, mm-hmm. which was, you know, this topic of, you know, self-care, you know, you know, just self-love. Why is it that that's the topic that you chose for your podcast? Like, why do you love that topic? I love it because there's always, well, number one, there's people out in this world, you can tell who don't love themselves. I mean, look at the people who don't wear masks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just saying, they don't love them. But, you know, we have a lot of, I just feel like um, you can never practice enough self-care and self-love and just, uh, you know, your overall relationship with yourself my grandma always told me that uh, if you don't love yourself or you don't know how to love yourself, how can anybody else love you? And how can you accept anybody else's love? So, you know, it's just about making sure that, that you're taking care of you, um, focusing on the things that you need to focus on to make sure that you're okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, amen to that. I strongly, you know, like, uh, support that whole idea for anybody out there who is not currently please go check out her podcast confessions from a red couch i will have the link to the podcast in the episode notes go check that out but 
The discussion for today is about what you do outside of the podcasting world. And that is, you are a high school uh, science teacher? I am. Yeah. You know, thank you for, you know, doing that service for the community. Teachers do not get enough credit in our society, in my personal opinion. So thank you for that. You're welcome. When we we come into this discussion, though, what made you decide that you wanted to be a teacher in the first place? Um, I was, I actually went to school uh, to, I was pre-med. And then I decided I did not want to see kids suffer because I wanted to be a pediatrician. So I wanted to continue to work with children. But then come out, I guess it was my junior year, I knew I didn't want to see kids suffer like that, you know, with illnesses and everything. So I was like, well, what else could I do? Um, So I kind of floated around a little bit (laughs) and uh, became a teacher, found a, a really fast-tracked master's program and um, I got my certification and my master's degree in like I think it was 15 months a year and a half. Okay and what was it about like you know the science in particular that like drew you into that did you like set out to be a science teacher or did that just like kind of like happen as you decided to go to school to be a teacher? Um, I've always loved science and I knew that if I wanted to be a teacher, I wanted to be a science teacher just for the simple aspect of kids representation. I wanted kids that look like me to say, Hey, if she can, if she's good at science and math, then maybe I can too. I can be the same way. Like, you know, just, just representation for for the kids that I was teaching, letting them know that, you know, hey, it is okay. You can be a black woman or African-American young man or whatever, and you could be good at science and math. It's okay. (laughs) Now you, you know, I've had you on before. You told me you live in like the Houston, Texas area. Mm -hmm. Yes. When you were growing up, you know, in and around that area, did you see a lot of people who looked like you who were teachers? So, you know, like in science or just in general? I did not. Uh, My first a black science teacher was in high school, actually. Um, my freshman year and then my sophomore year, my chemistry teacher, she was actually from the islands. And okay. so uh, so I didn't, like when it came to seeing representation, I didn't see another, you know, another science teacher until I got to high school, like my former, you know, that time around. And uh, I thought, I was like, okay, so we, we are science teachers. It wasn't every, you know, it wasn't about not seeing African-American teachers because I come from a family of educators. I just knew, you know, just seeing a, somebody that looked like me in the classroom, I was like, oh, maybe they'll, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I could relate to them just a little bit more. Right. But, you know, so I've heard some people say that, you know, representation is overrated. I personally don't agree with that. I mean, do you think that it has an impact on your students? Like, do your students seem more inspired by the fact that you're a teacher, a black woman? Of course it does. I've had plenty of uh, kids. So I've worked um, in different levels of uh, school. So ones that were Title I, which means that we have a, a lower socioeconomic status to ones that are, to the one that I'm in now that's very well off. And I've had several students who go on to engineering, who I've had as students, engineering and nursing and all that stuff because they saw me in the classroom and was like, hold on, 
so you gonna be my teacher this year? And I'm like, yes, I'm your teacher. And you gonna teach me physics? Yes, I'm gonna teach you physics. And you know, it's just kind of sort of like a mind blowing thing. Like, and she's good at it too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm good at it. You're going to learn, you're going to get it and I'm gonna make sure about it. And so it's always good to see, you know, those students who tap into something else, you know, something that they never thought they could do. Yes. And they go out and they're like, okay, well, if Miss Strickland was good at, you know, teaching me physics, I could definitely go into engineering. I could definitely be a doctor, nurse, you know, whatever. They, I could go into any STEM field that I want to because representation. So it's very important, very highly important. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I, I cannot echo that enough. I mm -hmm. think that you know, in a time where some people roll their eyes at the, at the phrase, I think representation does matter. I'm yeah. glad that, you know, there are people, you know, in your area who are able to like see themselves in a different professions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have heard from an outside perspective, I'm not a teacher myself, uh, that there are a lot of challenges with being a teacher, with being asked to do extra duties that are outside of the nine to five, like kind of like the work time and just restrictions with curriculums and with the budget you know what are some of the challenges that you have faced being a teacher like just things that you felt like kind of like kept you from being able to do the job the way you would more want to do it um it it all I, I, i'm saying this and i'm gonna say it again it just depends on where you're at and the support that you're getting um for a while my first how many years in education my by my first eight years eight no, I don't know. I've lost track. But my first uh, part of me being in education, like I said, I was in the um, Title I schools, so lower socioeconomic status children who uh, they were on free or reduced lunch, which means, you know, they had other things to do. or well, they didn't have the, enough money to get what they needed to get or the resources. And the hardest thing about working in those type of schools is they want to jump on the bandwagon of everything that they think will get those children to learn besides mm. focusing on, Hey, let's make sure they ate some food. You know, they've eaten, they've gotten enough sleep <laughs> and maybe they'll be able to learn, but you know, it's just always something to jump on the bandwagon to get test scores up higher or, you know, whatever, as opposed to where I am now, because the demographics different. It's a higher income bracket. So yeah. these kids have all of their resources met. So it's a lot more freedom for the teachers to teach rather than it is with the lower socioeconomic status group. And it's, it's kind of, I don't, I don't think it's fair because it restricts the creativity that the teachers can have for those students to meet their needs. And they really need it. You know, the ones from who I've had students who, like I said, they've had jobs where they have to help pay the bills in the house, or, you know, they're taking care of their brothers and sisters and trying to get food together to feed them after they come home from practice, track practice, or some type of extracurricular event. And they don't need like all this writing on the board that tells them what they're going to learn and all that stuff. They don't care about that. They just want to make sure that you care about them so they, you know, and they'll do whatever. If they see that you care about them, they'll do whatever you want them to. Okay. But, and, you know, it's not enough freedom. I, and that's, that's a shame. Whereas the other group, you know, the higher economic 
status. They they don't need. I mean, it's just a lot of things. It's just the freedom of teachers. You know, okay. sometimes teachers just need to be able to to meet the needs of their students where they're at instead of the state telling them what to do and how to do it. Okay, so you know what you're saying is you know just like kids who live in I guess like more impoverished areas, you know, mm -hmm. just, just being in these, these just like poor neighborhoods, right. they are just basically trying to like teach them the same way they teach kids in these richer neighborhoods, but these kids in these poorer neighborhoods, they don't really have the same kind of like things available to them when they're outside of the school. So it makes it yeah. hard for them to concentrate when they're in school. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not even, let me, let me say this. It's, uh, I just, it's not that it's just, how, how can I say this? There's more freedom when kids have more resources for teachers. There's more freedom to teach and create than it is for uh, the teachers who are teachers the lower socioeconomic group. Okay. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's more freedom because those kids, the kids who have more resources, they can go out and, you know, you could tell them, hey, go research this when you get home and then come back in. Um, we'll talk, we'll have a discussion, we'll do all this stuff. No, you can't do that with the lower, uh, you know, impoverished areas. And I'll, yeah, I say impoverished areas because we don't know if they have cell phones or computers at home or access to internet. So, right. you know, it's a little bit different on how you can treat the, the two different groups. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we were also talking beforehand about just the fact that, you know, you and I were like, I was like asking you, like, what are some of the ideas that you think could help the current school system? And mm -hmm. one of the ideas you had brought up was um, just real world applications yeah. of the things that they're being taught in schools. Mm -hmm. Like, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, what do you think could be done in that realm to kind of help kids, especially kids in high school who are thinking about what their lives are going to be like after high school? I just, I really feel like technology needs to be used more in the classrooms. You know, if uh, every, right now, and where we are now is a great example because, you know, we have kids who are online learners and in-class learners, but I, I feel like every student, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from, should be issued a laptop or a Chromebook or have some access to technology. Because when they, think about it, what do we use on our jobs? Do we use pen and paper anymore, for real? No, we don't. No, we don't. And so in order to keep up with the times or what they need to do outside, they should have more access to technology. They should be, you know, it, it should be a, uh, it shouldn't be a privilege. How about that? <laughs> it shouldn't be a privilege to have technology. I feel like all students should have access to it. Um, what else do I feel? Uh, and as far as real world, like I, and I tell people, I probably would be out of a job saying this because I teach physics and chemistry. Who all is going to need physics and chemistry outside of, you know, high school? Like who's going to really need that? Like, why do they need to know that? So instead of teaching like, uh, physics and chemistry the way we do now, we should teach it, especially chemistry, like if you're going to go into an industry job, oil and gas is big here, let's make chemistry, you know, a part of their training if they're going to go into oil and gas. Let's implement, you know, teach them some of the things they're going to need to know when they go into that industry. 
So right, no, and that yeah. totally makes sense. You know, it's one of the things that uh, you know, you kind of hear when you leave high school is like, why are there not more, you know, real world applications that yeah. are just kind of like attached to some, you know, like classes in high school. Like, why aren't you taught how to do your taxes? Why aren't you yeah. taught how to like manage a bank account? Why aren't you taught, you know, just like what exactly, you know, like a, I mean, even just what exactly do you need to know once you get out of this space? Cause not everyone goes to college. No, you know? exactly. Yeah. And so I think, you know, our current system is kind of set up so that like there are gaps left that they, people just assume will be filled in college, but mm -hmm. not everyone's going to college anymore, but you know, just kind of rounding off this conversation here, you know, it, it would be hard to have a conversation about teaching in this age without talking about how coronavirus has impacted it. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask you, like, as someone who's been going through this, what has it been like being a teacher during this time? Um, it has been very stressful. Um, I am exhausted. <laughs> just as <laughs> all the other teachers are. Um, this, this season has really taught me boundaries because at one point I was checking emails and answering emails at 10 o'clock at night and having to wake up early the next morning to be in the classroom. And so, um, y'all be real, be real kind to teachers right now. We were, as my, my doctor told me, um, we, we, we were put in a position of being frontline workers and asked to do it, <laughs> Right. So, um, uh, so just be kind to us. Uh, it has been rough. I have, um, um, I have had when, you know, when I talk about my podcast about mental health and self care, I've had to, you know, kind of up my game on my mental health and my self care because I was getting burnt out. <laughs> so it's, it's just really hard. We we're having to juggle with, um making sure kids are online who don't want to be online and who really don't want to be at school so right. we have to you know make sure that they're successful as well as the kids who we're teaching in class as well as making sure the classrooms are disinfected and making sure everybody's wearing masks and keeping everybody six feet away while teaching our content and how's that been going though have, have people been were like responsive to the whole like social distancing masks on how has that been going no these are kids kids don't understand they have to be six feet apart from each other they want to hug each other all the time <laughs> it's, it's crazy or be in each other's faces like they can't they don't know so it's it's kind of like a fight so the big thing is that we're trying to make sure of our our biggest thing is making sure they wear their masks properly because they will wear them underneath their nose or they'll pull it down and take a drink of water and won't pull it back up on purpose. You know, so it's just, it's just so much along with the other stuff that we have to do, you know, as teachers, our other responsibilities, it's just so much that we, that's been put on us that we yes. need <laughs> And you know what? I will just like, end this conversation right there. I mean, to everyone out there, you know, please, you know, take care of your teachers, appreciate your teachers. We do not pay teachers enough in this country. You know, I will continuously say that because they do way more than they get paid for, in my opinion. Yeah. But, you know, Janae, thank you mm -hmm. again for coming on. Uh, just really quickly, just tell the people where they can find your podcast one more time before we end the episode. 
All right, guys, you can find Confessions from a Red Couch on all major listening platforms, including Amazon Music. Um, or if you just need to uh, want to get to it quick, just type in confessionsfromareycouch.com. It'll take you to the website, which will actually be upgraded here shortly. Um, and you can catch all the episodes that you would like. <laughs> Definitely go do that, everyone. Janae, thanks again for coming on. I hope to have you back on again in the future. Uh, for everyone else, I'm going to take one final break, and I'll be back with my final thoughts right after this. <laughs> Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you to everyone who stuck through this episode with me. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you are able to, uh, please scroll up into the episode notes and click on the support link. Uh, it is through support donations that I am able to continue to bring independent thought to you. So that is very much appreciated for those of you who have donated to the podcast already. Uh, so final thoughts of the day. Uh, first, I wanna thank uh, my guest again, Janae uh, from the Confessions of a Red Couch podcast. I always appreciate you coming on. This is the second time that I've had you on the podcast. I definitely love your podcast, so thank you for gracing mine with, uh, with your voice uh, and for all the work that you do as a teacher, um, you know, especially after talking with you, you know, during this conversation and conversations we've had in the past, I know that it's a, it's a trying time for everyone in your profession right now, so thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, I just want to quickly, before this episode ends, address some of the things that I shared this week on Instagram. Uh, for one, the armed protests that are apparently happening at all 50 state capitals this week. I have heard that since I posted that earlier in the week, that a lot of that talk has died down as the FBI apparently is um, very much aware of what's happening and they are apparently taking steps to prevent any kinds of demonstrations from getting out of hand around the country. So I think that we can all kind of relax a little bit on any kind of violence erupting on that front. Uh, also, we learned this week that the Michigan governor is finally, and his administration is finally facing charges for the Flint water crisis, uh, which led to just so many like thousands of people in that community being poisoned through contaminated water. It would seem that the governor himself is facing some misdemeanor charges, but it seems like there are others that were in his administration that are being hit with much more severe charges. In fact, I saw that one person in particular is being hit with uh, charges of manslaughter. So there might be some serious jail time coming for the people who were overseeing the contaminated water in Flint, Michigan. Also, with all the craziness this week, I didn't get a chance to mention the fact that Donald Trump became the first president in US history to be impeached twice. Isn't that fun? And also the headlines read that it was the most bipartisan impeachment in US history, which I don't think is really that big of a deal to say because it was only 10 Republicans who actually voted for impeachment. And in my opinion, I know that you could probably 
try to explain in some way, shape, or form why he shouldn't be impeached, I'm not buying it. I don't know how you do all the things that he's done the last couple of months, incite uh, an insurrection, and then claim that, oh, yeah, we, we can't impeach him for that. If you can't impeach someone for that, what can you impeach them for? The Republican Party was ready to impeach Bill Clinton for lying to them. So they were more ready to impeach a president over lying to them than another president sending a mob to their door to potentially kill them. Where are the priorities out here? And also, I shared with all of you the new fun that is Marjorie Taylor Greene. And by fun, I don't actually mean fun. I mean a headache. Uh, I'm sure that she'll be a congresswoman that we will be seeing a lot of because, um, well, she's not afraid to put her voice out there on the most ridiculous things that you've heard of. I'm going to do my best not to continue to keep posting about her because I'm sure it'll be tempting because she's going to keep saying crazy stuff, but it, it's going to be hard for me not to. I, I, I cannot believe that she is legitimately a QAnon supporter. Um, I, I, I can't wrap my head around how someone like that made it into Congress. But anyway, let's end the episode on a more positive note. This episode will be coming out on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a day that means something to me because that is someone who I think about a lot, not just on his day that he has every year. Um, his push for equality, his push for justice, and someone who was willing to give literally everything that he had for his cause. Uh, that is something that has always meant a lot to me. And so I wanted to uh, make sure to end this episode, as I have been doing the last few weeks, uh, with a quote. Uh, usually they're from Martin Luther King. It definitely will be for this episode. And that quote is, when you are right, you cannot be too radical. When you are wrong, you cannot be too conservative. And so I will just say to all of you, if you have something that you are really passionate about, go and pursue that. Just live your truth. Go and do whatever it is, that thing that you've been wanting to do or you want to do more of or you want to put more time into. Go do that. And if you are feeling trepidatious, you're feeling like you don't know enough, it's okay to be conservative and take a second to figure out more information about what you need to know. So to everyone out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Independent Thought. I hope that I will see you all again on the next episode. Until then, Trump's no longer the president.